0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Alex Hoyer. Don Marsh will be back tomorrow. Earlier this week, the St. Louis Sports Commission announced that the International Olympic Committee is granting each city that has hosted the Games the chance to display two grand sculptures of the Olympic rings. St. Louis is among those cities, and of all the cities that have hosted the modern Olympics, St. Louis has not done a very good job at publicly commemorating that history. After all, the first Olympic Games in the United States were in St. Louis in 1904. They were held at the same time as the famous World's Fair. Joining me to talk about the announcement earlier this week and the history of the 1904 Games... Are Jody Sowell, Director of Exhibitions and Research at the Missouri Historical Society, and Mike Loyne, a local attorney and chairman of the St. Louis Sports Commission's Olympic Committee. Welcome to St. Louis On Air to both of you. Thank
1: you. Thanks,
2: Alex. Uh,
0: Jody, let me start with you. How is it that St. Louis became a host of the Olympics?
2: Sure. Well, that's a sort of roundabout story. Uh, So this is only the third modern Olympics in 1904. 1900 games were held in Greece and the, sorry, the 1896 games were held in Greece and the 1900 games were held in Paris. And the IOC knew that they wanted the third games to be in the United States. The United States was well represented in other international uh, sporting competitions. And so they knew that they wanted to come to the United States. And quite frankly, there was one place that seemed like a perfect choice. Uh, unfortunately for us, that place was Chicago. So Chicago was unanimously given the third modern Olympics. Um, and that was that decision came about in 1901. Uh Later, though, St. Louis moved its World's Fair to 1904 and said, we're going to have this huge World's Fair. People from all over the globe are going to come to St. Louis. And by the way, We're going to have a major athletic competition at the fair, and it's going to overshadow your Olympics, which you are just now trying to get started and really had had a rough time getting started. So uh, people went back to the uh, discussion table and decided we'll reverse that decision and give the games to St. Louis. Now, Chicago had done quite a bit of bragging beforehand and said that they had won over St. Louis, and St. Louis wouldn't know what to do with the Olympics if they got them, and it wasn't such a victory for Chicago to win over a, quote, small town like St. Louis. Um, So they had done a lot of bragging and then had to sort of hang their heads a bit uh, later on when the games were given to St. Louis.
0: And Mike, this decision to transfer the games from Chicago to St. Louis had a lot of controversy, uh, seemingly between the continents, between Europe and uh, the United States, that that continued on past the 1904 games. Can can you talk a little bit more about that controversy?
1: Uh, well, I, I, I'm not quite sure exactly what you're referring to, Alex, as far as the— Well,
0: in terms of uh, James Sullivan, who was involved with the uh, <laughs> right. o- Olympics here.
1: Well, so, so to put that in context, so back in the day, the Amateur Athletic Union was one of the most powerful sporting unions in, in, in the world, really, because America and England, Great Britain pretty much dominated the international sporting, sporting world. Uh, James E. Sullivan was a very ambitious guy. And uh, was very uh, into, into sport, and believed he was kind of the uh, put it on his back, and he was going to make sport this great thing. Uh, so, flash forward a little bit, uh, he goes to the Paris Games. He's one of the ambassadors for the United States with our Olympic athletes, and he sees these games, and they're they're really a mess. They're they're an absolute mess. And and uh, Pierre Coubertin, who was the founder of the Olympics. Uh, wanted them to be in Paris. It was the World's Fair. It was going to be this great coming out party. And the World's Fair committee pretty much ran Coubertin off. They said, you know what, sports is kind of this absurd distraction. And, you know, we're more concerned about art and literature and music and, and politics. So all the sporting venues in Paris were kind of scattered around and, and they didn't get their ado. I mean, Fencing was put at the exhibition for cutlery and uh, gymnastics was put at the exhibition for children's games. And the track and field was done at a country club grounds over grass uh, where they you know, part of the track ran through a grove of trees, which mm-hmm. wasn't even a track. It was just a course that they plotted mm-hmm. out. And hurdles, the, they, there was a report that they used uh, telephone poles <laughs> for hurdles. So it wasn't very, very well done. But Sullivan was over there and he said, you know, this is kind of interesting. Uh, but the French don't know how to do this. So I'm going to kind of try to take it over. So he tries a power play and tries to do this international athletic union. Well, Kubertan finds out about this and wisely uh, reaches out to one of uh, Sullivan's uh, – I don't want to say it out, uh, outspoken – uh, he, there was an individual who was in charge of one of these sporting newspapers back in uh, the America mm-hmm. who, who was kind of an adversary of Sullivan a little bit. So he brought him on the IOC committee and this guy was able to stiff arm Sullivan from taking over what was essentially the Olympics mm-hmm. by gaining power in the amateur uh, – the International Athletic Union. So um, needless to say, when it came to America, Sullivan was based in New York. New York and Chicago were the primary bidders. Kubertan didn't want anything to do with New York because Sullivan was there. They both had a lot of money. Um, It went to Chicago. uh, Kubertan had a much better relationship with a guy in Chicago, a professor there, I believe, at the University of Chicago. So that's why it went there. And when the games came to St. Louis, James Sullivan was the person who was in charge of the World's Fair Physical Culture Department. He was given the Olympic Games. So Kubertan did not want anything to do with – With us, Mm -hmm. various reasons, but that was one of the probably a pretty driving force for why uh, Kubertan didn't like it. So,
0: and then we'll get to this in a bit. But the Olympic Games in St. Louis have gotten a bad rap over the years in terms of the way people have talked about them, and uh, there are those who say that part of that is because of the comments that Kubertan would make. About the games, Jody, what what were some of the things that that were said about the games that yeah. that were perhaps motivated by by this disagreement?
2: Absolutely. So, if you look at the time during the 1904 games, there were many people saying this was the best athletic event that had ever happened. Uh, the the achievement of worldwide athletics. Um, Pierre Coubertin, later in his memoir, uh, had less kind words to say. Uh, One thing he said was that he always imagined that the 1904 games uh, would be a failure. He said that he thought that they would match the, quote, mediocrity of the town. Um, So that was rough. That was hard. Um, But many of those perceptions came much later. So when you read reports of the day in 1904... You hear both IOC people saying this is the best athletic event that we've ever hosted. You see people praising all of the international athletes and all of the top-notch American athletes. So you do see a real excitement and sort of reverence for the games at the time. Uh, but, but later on in some of Coubertin's writings, uh, he takes less than nice uh, shots at us.
0: Part of the story that gets a lot of attention is the marathon that that happened in 1904. Who wants to take the the story of the marathon? <laughs> Mike, Mike.
1: Uh, Jody and I were just talking about this uh, <laughs> outside. I, the, the marathon was kind of interesting, and there's there's a lot there's a couple different count, accounts of it. So so roughly how it went was everybody hears of the marathon cheater. Okay, mm-hmm. in reality this was this was. <laughs> it's kind of a tough race. They, they Sullivan decided to do an experiment. You know, back then, they really didn't understand dehydration and hydration and what you needed. So I, again, you know, back in the 80s, when I used to play high school football, I, mean, I remember coaches, it was 90 degrees. You're in full equipment. They're like, no water till after practice. <laughs> Not something we do today. But, um, so anyway, they only had one water stop on this route. Uh, it, was, it was 90 degrees by all reports. So this must have just been a horrific run. Uh, people were dropping out. I mean, they had four Boston Marathon runners at this event, and mm-hmm. and all of them dropped out, including uh, including uh, what was, it? It was not Hicks. It was who's the guy? Loris. Fred Loris, Fre- Fred Loris, who eventually became the Boston Marathon winner the next year, mm-hmm. but he drops out. I think they said around mile nine or something like that. They had cars back then with judges and and some coaches who were driving these marathon routes. Uh, the report looks like he stepped into an official car, said, you know, I'm tapping out, which, uh, which a lot of the runners had done. Uh, they drove for, and the reports, most of them are about three to four miles. I saw one report that said 10, but most of them are consistent with three to four miles. Uh, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm good now. <laughs> now there's a, I don't know if the car broke down. There was a claim that it did, or he just said, I'm good. I just want to get out and run. And the judge in the car said, you know, you're disqualified. He said, I, I know I'm good. I'm going to run. So he starts running, and at some point he passes Thomas Hicks, who's in the lead, who's just – Suffering, and they're giving him strychnine and uh, rat egg whites. Yeah, I, right. Well, strychnine is one of the ingredients used in rat poison, but it also is kind of a stimulant back then, like caffeine, if you just gave uh. a little dose. <laughs> so, you know, I wish they had Gatorade back then. That probably would have been a better <laughs> idea, but rather than give them water, that's what they gave them. And, you know, back then this stuff wasn't illegal, so they could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so Hicks runs by him, and one of the, you know, or, I'm sorry, Loris runs by Hicks, and Hicks is just, "Oh my god i'm dying, and this guy just ran past me, but the judge is like, "No, no, no, this this guy's disqualified. You keep going so so eventually, Lorries gets to the stadium and decides to run in, and obviously everybody goes nuts because they think he's the winner and and he goes around the track and runs across the finish line and This is where it gets kind of interesting in the in the authorized Olympic Games history, it says that he got in, Alice Roosevelt gave him a laurel around his his head and uh, was about to put a medal on him and Then they said, "Wait a second, this guy got a ride that didn't happen so mm-hmm. and and that's part of Towns doing too that that didn't happen Alice Roosevelt wasn't even there that day, uh, supposedly he crossed the finish line, he was exhausted uh People said that Lawrence was kind of a joker um, Sullivan wasn't amused by this, so he mm. banned him for life. But then changed it a couple months later when because
0: he would later go on to win the Boston Marathon.
1: Yeah, so so the story. Laura said, "Hey, look, I I was just delirious. I, you I was know, joking I, was, around. I, and, I was joking. Mm-hmm. I was delirious. I was caught up and and he never ever claimed to have won the race. There was there was they never he never got a photo. He never got a medal around him or anything like that. That was that was all kind of." false history that, that went on. But anyway, Hicks did win the race and mm-hmm. probably just about dead when he arrived, and uh, that's <laughs> And that, that's, that's the story of the marathon. So. Mm. The, the cheating <laughs> story is
2: the one that uh, sticks out the most. But there are other interesting parts of the marathon. It's one of the most interesting events at the 1904 Games. One, it was one of the most internationally represented. So in a Games that didn't have as many international athletes as we're used to, the marathon had more of those athletes mm. uh, than most of the other sports. It was also well attended. So some of these events at the 1904 Games are not very well attended. You look at photos. And you see many empty seats You had newspaper reporters uh, Begging St. Louisans to come see These events because world records Were happening, Olympic records were happening Um, But the marathon was well Attended Uh, It also has a fascinating story about a guy From Cuba, his name was Felix Mm -hmm. Carbajal Uh, He did Running demonstrations across Cuba To raise money to come to the United States for the 1904 games Unfortunately his first stop was in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. Uh, in New Orleans he proceeded to gamble all of his money away. So he came to St. Louis just with the clothes on his back and the hat on his head, Mm -hmm. Um, but he decided to go ahead and run in his long pants and hat, uh, and he actually came in fourth place, which is not bad for uh, being in your street clothes. (laughs) The other interesting aspect, the marathon, this uh, could have been the last time that the marathon was held in the Olympics, uh, because James Sullivan, the director of the games, held a conference afterwards to say maybe we should never have a marathon again because it is, quote, man-killing in effect. Uh, He thought this was just too strenuous on athletes. It would have helped if they had more water stops and less (laughs) strychnine, but he thought it was such a horrible event that maybe we should end it and never have it in another Olympics. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, that commission didn't come together. Right,
0: because the marathon is one of the marquee events of, of the Summer Olympics. One of the events that gets talked about in association with the Olympics and i know one of your points mike is to point out that it does not have an association with the olympics is anthropology days mm-hmm. uh first could you t- uh, explain what anthropology days is and then why it isn't associated with the yeah.
1: olympics uh, so anthropology days was done over 2 days uh it, it was conducted by the department of anthropology and it was uh and the department of physical culture so it was done amongst. They pretty much gathered up all the people that were there for the exhibits. Uh, you know what they call the human zoo, I guess. Uh, uh, which you know it, it, these these they were racist. They were degrading. Uh, they weren't a proud spot of the fair by any means. Uh, they were a time when imperialism and Darwinism was kind of sweeping the latest greatest craze and and kind of. Uh, I guess, coax them to kind of do this, do this event. Um, It was so it it was done with the the, I'm going to just say uh, native peoples uh, amongst themselves. And they had to do events. Some of them were pole climbing to uh, spear throwing to uh, races that were – somewhat you – know, that were done in the Olympics but weren't part of the Olympics. So – but they didn't have any association with the Olympics. Uh, the only – the reason why they sometimes get confused is because they were at the stadium. Uh, they were a program of the sporting events at the World's Fair. The Olympics were a program of during – in the sporting events at the World's Fair. And because James Sullivan wore a couple different hats – one of his hats was head of the physical department of the World's, uh, the World's Fair and the other was – uh, head of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So um, people can confuse those. And one other reason why they got tied in, why people even think they were part of the Olympics was Kubertan again, not him necessarily, but in this history official, his authorized history of the Olympic Games that was published 30 years later, um, they spent on a, probably eight pages about the St. Louis games, two of those talked about the anthropology games. Um, and you know, it's almost like it was kind of a little smear campaign for mm-hmm. the St. Louis, to, for Coubertin to kind of seal his legacy and say, you know, I kind of Paris Games were awful, and those were under me per se. But Sullivan had them, and you know, th- this is why they were they were bad. So mm-hmm. I eventually saved them. But
0: right. um, well, well, before we talk about the way that. Uh, Your group is trying to commemorate Mm -hmm. those 1904 games. I want to get to some of the things that the Olympics in 1904 in St. Louis are known as firsts.
2: Yeah, so very important. The anthropology games and sort of the association with those games, even though they weren't an official part of the Olympics, is certainly a a dark moment, something that gets brought up in the criticism of the 1904 games. But there are a lot of important firsts. Uh, The first African American to ever medal in the Olympics, George Pogue, that happened in 1904. He he
0: was from Hannibal, Missouri.
2: Right, and would go on to teach uh, and coach at Sumner High School. Uh, The first time that gold, silver, and bronze were awarded to the top three finishers, that happens in St. Louis. The first time that uh, boxing is an official sport, that happens in St. Louis. So there are lots of important firsts. What's truly even more important, though, and, and Mike sort of talked about it earlier, the Olympics get off to a difficult start no one's sure this idea that you're going to have an international athletic event move every four years to a different country. No one's really sure that that's going to work or that it should even work. Um, Some people think, well, let's just have it in Greece every four years. Uh, Paris wasn't particularly excited about having it with their World's Fair. St. Louis was actually the first city that sort of uh, threw elbows to make sure that it got the Olympic Games. But this is a movement that's just getting started. And so... Truly the biggest achievement of the St. Louis games is is keeping that torch lit, so to speak, is making sure that this Olympic movement continues. Without St. Louis, you wouldn't have what you were seeing starting tomorrow night. Uh, you wouldn't see the Atlanta games, the L.A. games. Those wouldn't have been possible if the St. Louis games hadn't continued that tradition.
0: Why, why do you think St. Louis has done such a bad job publicly of commemorating the, the 1904
1: games? Mike? I, well, I think uh, the World's Fair were the biggest things going on back then, and the Olympics were in their infancy, just like Jody said. Uh, we were more, you know, immortalized with "Meet Me in St. Louis," mm-hmm. uh, the movie, and and everything like that. And I think we just kind of grabbed onto that and kind of forgot about these games. And then again, the only history that really got out of them was kind of taken out of context and negative, and it was mm-hmm. you know kind of done a little bit by Kubertan. And I think we never stopped to really argue or defend mm-hmm. ourselves. So, so, so what's happening now? How, how are we going to r- so, remember these games? Yeah. That's, so uh, just real quick. So again, St. Louis in the context, the Paris games were a disaster. Coubertin dreamed about starting stadiums there and everything like that, and it never happened. St. Louis did that. We built stadiums. The first gymnasium, the first uh, Olympic stadium, modern-day Olympic stadium, the first modern-day Olympic track was all at Washu's campus. So uh, that was a huge thing. The first gold medal, silver, bronze was all awarded on WashU's campus. So, what we want to do is kind of embrace that history and our status as an Olympic city because we were a significant Olympic city, and we we are are planning to build a uh, what's called a spectacular, which is a sculpture of the Olympic rings on WashU's campus. That's going to be you can view from the stadium, the gymnasium. It's going to look spectacular. Uh, it's about 16 feet wide by about eight, nine feet high. So it's they're pretty large, uh, but uh, look great. They're really going to, I think, empower people and make us hopefully uh, think more about our past and look forward to, into the future to inspire others to potentially try to strive for these kind of great things.
0: We had a comment on our website. There will be two of these spectaculars. You said the one is going to be on WashU's. Campus. There uh, one comment said, "This is long overdue. I would love to see something downtown as well." Even though the specific sites were not in downtown, many tourists do not end up at WashU.
1: That's right. So WashU's private institution, right? So the IOC has awarded WashU the rings. We get one other spectacular. According to the IOC, they have to be on an Olympic historic site. So that only leaves oh, okay. a few places here in town.
0: So could it be downtown?
1: No. Okay. No, it, it could not. But, but you want the other one in more of a public place where people can enjoy it. So if, if you look at the history, you could see some possible places that we're <laughs> looking at right now.
0: Right. Well, thanks for this memory trip, uh, a trip down memory lane of the 1904 Olympics. I've been joined by Jody Sowell, Director of Exhibitions and Research at the Missouri Historical Society. Thank you, Jody. And uh, Mike Loind, a local attorney and chairman of the St. Louis Sports Commission's Olympic Committee. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Alex. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.